1: You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy.
0: Hello, lovely listeners! Welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series, and I'm your host, Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here at Skylight Books. Um, Good news—we are open again for in-store shopping, eleven to seven on weekdays, and ten to eight on weekends. Um, you know, we're still asking that you wear a mask, socially distance, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, but we're very happy to, to have our doors open again um, after our second COVID scare. Um, we came through okay. Nobody else uh, contracted it. Everybody is symptom-free and tested negative. So um, that's great news. And uh, thanks, as always, for sticking with us through this bumpy ride of a year. Um, all right, so today we're going to have a great conversation. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, Clover Hope is here. She's going to be talking about her new book, The Motherload*, with Nadeska Alexis. They're going to be talking hip hop and women in hip hop. Um, I want to give them a formal introduction and then Clover's going to read a little and then the two of them will have a conversation and then I'll come back and we'll say our goodbyes. Um, all right, so without further ado. Clover Hope is a writer and editor based in Brooklyn. Hope's work has appeared in the pages of Vibe, XXL, Billboard, The New York Times, Wired, Essence, and The Village Voice, among other publications. She is currently a contributing editor at Pitchfork. In conversation with Clover is Nadeska Alexis. Nadeska Alexis is a music journalist and writer who is well known for her hip hop reporting. She has made a name as a highly talented music journalist by working with networks such as Complex and MTV News. Her popular works include Everyday Struggle, Rap Fix, Live and Complex Conversations. And she is currently the host of R&B Now Radio and the Nadeska Show on Apple Music One. So just a few words about the book. Uh, the Motherload is about the 100 plus women who made hip hop. It has fantastic illustrations by artist Rochelle Baker, and it highlights more than 100 women who have shaped the power, scope, and reach of rap music, including pioneers like Roxanne Chante, game changers like Lauryn Hill and Missy Elliott, and current reigning queens like Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, and Lizzo, as well as everybody who came before, after, and in between. Some of these women were respected, but not widely celebrated. Some are impossible not to know. Some of these women have stood on their own and others were forced into templates. Some have been trapped in strange critical space between respected MC and object. They are characters, caricatures, lyricists, at times both feminine and explicit. This book profiles each of these women, their musical and career breakthroughs and the ways in which they helped change the culture of rap. I should also say it's a beautiful book. You guys got to check it out. Um, look at the illustrations. Uh, it's just something that you want to have in your house. So. Uh, Clover and Nadeska, welcome to the program. I'm so excited for this conversation and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, for having us. Um, Do you wanna take it away with a short reading from the book?
2: Yes, so I'm gonna read uh, the Roxanne Chante entry Um, and Roxanne is widely considered the sort of first uh, solo female rap star. And a lot of that was based on her, uh, her, her, her song, Roxanne's Revenge. Um, this is the beginning of her entry. Between the years 1984 and 1985, the rap world waged an ongoing battle, the Roxanne Wars, or what the Washington Post described as a neo-feminist watershed. The only attacks happened on records, beginning with UTFO's Roxanne, Roxanne produced by the R&B group Full Force, who performed as backup dancers for the rap group Houdini, known for Freaks Come Out Out At Night. UTFO's song was a big hit, but it only grew into legend because of Roxanne Chante. The subject of Roxanne, Roxanne, is a fictional young woman named Roxanne, who shoots down UTFO's advances. Baby, don't you know I can sing rap dance in just one show, Kangol, Kangol Kid Raps. On a record about catcalling, each of the three UTFO members tries in vain to woo Roxanne. Roxanne Chante, then going by her given name, Lolita Gooden, responded to their song with a five-minute diss track addressing UTFO's flaws as Roxanne's revenge. You thought she was cute, yeah, you thought she was a prince, she raps. It was like the subject of a painting, jumping out of the frame and coming to life. Chante, known for battle rapping around her neighborhood, didn't yet have a stage name. In Battles, I was rhyming for 30 to 40 minutes. So four minutes was nothing for me, she told Billboard in 2018. I stuck with the storyline and the next morning I was Roxanne. It would have been ambitious enough for Shantae to make history with a diss track calling out a group of male rappers. But what's most impressive is that she did in New York became a pre-viral sensation before rap was on TV and before the world at large recognized female rappers. It wasn't just one back and forth. Roxanne's revenge inspired a generation of MCs and amateur rappers to dump a rich random tapestry of disc records aimed squarely at Shantae. From Sparky D's, Sparky's turn, Roxanne, you're through to crush Group's yo, my little sister, Roxanne's brothers. Even an alleged child named Takanika (laughs) targeted Roxanne in a song titled, I'm Little Roxanne. So that's uh, the beginning of the Roxanne entry um, about her into battle rapping and her basically being a pioneer of this the sport of of battle rapping
3: Clover I have to say congratulations on writing such an amazingly comprehensive book because as someone who's been reporting on hip-hop for so long I'm ashamed to admit that I learned so much from this book there are a lot of amazingly talented women rappers that I did not know before reading The Motherlode. What was your experience writing it? Did you stumble upon some new artists?
2: I did have that same experience so I'm glad that people are having it because I think it's probably a result of me uh, having that discovery process like while I was reporting it and researching and writing because like similarly like I've been writing about hip-hop for like over 15 years and there were You know, there's still blind spots. Like there were still women, like I did not know their name. Uh, I did not really know about MC Rock, who was, you know, considered the first uh, like prominent female MC. uh, You know, having started her starting do it started doing hip hop back in the 1970s, like when it was formed in the first place. Um, And you know, I didn't know about certain struggles for artists like JJ Fad um, and kind of like their you know their kind of like pop pop rap sound being um something that they kind of had to contend with as artists uh so th- i you know it was a discovery process for me um you know while i was working on it uh one of the biggest was probably with mc shot and like that um you know s- debate amongst like the first group of uh, female MCs, like who came first like who should get the title like i had no idea that was happening and it was like very quietly happening that they were you know trying to get um you know insert themselves into the narrative of hip hop in some way by trying to kind of like claim this first title like who who was the first solo female mc who was the first you know female mc and you know that was their way of kind of you know wanting to be noticed and wanting to be part of the story in a bigger way so that was something i hadn't known about Um, So I feel the same shame, and I think it's probably good (laughs) because, you know, it shows that, you know, there's a learning process happening.
3: Absolutely. I think, you know, over the course of our careers, we learn from other writers that we admire and also from stories, right? Working in the industry, you have a lot of conversations. For example, working with Sway, I'll hear stories of artists you worked with, and that's a lot of the way that I learned. But I feel like some of the stories about women just aren't as prevalent. So was it actually easy for you to do the research and find the facts and the details about these more obscure artists it
2: it wasn't um it wasn't easy but once i did start talking to them it was I think because they wanted to share their story and maybe they hadn't even done interviews in so long like some, someone like entice who i had to kind of track down and like she's in North Carolina like she's kind of doing a different type of music now like more kind of um like motivational hip-hop and isn't, you know, she was down with, um, you know, wu Chang in the 90s. So someone like that, I kind of, you know, I'd, I had to track her down, like, through, like, her cousin on Instagram. <laughs> There's no, it's not like she's on Twitter, right. and, you know, so I had to kind of do do some back channeling. And so um, that part was, was difficult for them once I kind of got them on the phone, you know, it, their stories just kind of, like, poured out. And it was easy to kind of like, you know, take, um, you know, like kind of take what they experienced and kind of, uh, for some of them, I just let them tell it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, so some of like entice that's an as told to. So it's like all her own words. Um, people like Charlie Baltimore, when she kind of started telling her story, it was kind of like, oh, wow. Some of this stuff I didn't know about her mm-hmm. working with Irv Gotti um, doing, you know, like writing with Irv Gotti and like her, that whole backstory. Um, And so, yeah, it was, it was kind of, a yeah, it was difficult to (laughs) find people basically just like, where are you? It was a a big like, where are you now um, kind of project.
3: Well, I'm glad that so many of them were able to share their stories with you directly. And when I use the word obscure, as I'm thinking about it, I don't even mean Mm -hmm. it in a negative way because I think you know, especially in, in Black history and Black culture, there's so many amazing untold stories that I hope over the years continue to be uncovered because so many people were impactful, even if, you know, they weren't necessarily as as popular as superstar rappers. And right. once we get to the later chapters of the book, you know, you start talking about Nicki Minaj, I was thinking back on how I grew up in the era watching Missy Elliott and Kim, Foxy and, and Eve, but then for yeah. a long period of time, it felt like no female rappers were really making waves on the level that they were until Nicki came along. And as you described it in The motherload, you said in the time between Lil' Kim and Foxy Brown's heyday and Nicki Minaj's arrival, rap was increasingly a ghost town for women. What do you mm. think contributed to sort of that drought? I'm sure that it wasn't necessarily a lack of talent. Was it just right. a lack of accessibility and difficulty getting through the
2: doors? Yeah, I do think there's that. Like, I don't know if anyone has been, it's funny cause I don't know if anyone has been able to kind of like answer it concretely. And I feel like some of the explanation for the drought has to come from like the label execs who weren't signing women. Like, you know, why weren't you signing female rappers to labels? Like, was there any talent that you declined like for a specific reason? Or, you know, like how many women were you actually seeking out? Um, but one thing that I think did come up was that it seemed like labels thought women in general, but like women rappers like cost too much money. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that was something that I kind of mentioned in a couple entries. And I think like a few, um, uh, maybe label execs have spoken about, uh, as far as like beauty and glam teams, I guess the thinking was that, oh, women, like, like they eat up your budget. Um, but I think we've seen how much that's kind of uh, bullshit because male rappers today are <laughs> as obsessed with fashion and image as women and they you know eat up budgets so they're the real wonder... divas if
3: we're being honest
2: <laughs> exactly like they want like very specific like you know um looks so I wonder if um that you know I'm sure that contributed and that I would think like this type of trend kind of happens on like a systemic level you know like one um you know once it just kind con- it just kind of um, because the labels aren't making women like a priority um, you know when something isn't prior and it isn't a priority then it's easy for it to then become sidelined um, but then a big thing I was thinking about was that I do think people forget how much downloading was contributing to like um, lower music sales in that mid-2000s era mm-hmm. and people <clears throat> were not buying physical records i stopped buying cds at that point i was downloading music i was downloading mp 3s i had yeah. folders of like <laughs> uh, you overnight know, with napster hoping that no one called and interrupted <laughs> your download exactly <laughs> exactly and then there was kazaa and you know now, now we have streaming services but during that whole gap there were no streaming services like i remember being an early adopter of spotify like being like, oh wow, this is insane. And it was only available in Sweden for like a while. So, um, you know, so I think that maybe during that era, you know, labels went from like these huge bu- budgets for hip hop videos in the 90s to like then this very like reality check digital music boom in the 2000s. And I think maybe budget shrunk. And if they weren't making women priorities at that time, maybe that contributed to them not signing. Um, like not signing enough female rappers. Cause like you said, I don't think it was like talent wasn't there, it was just, you know, that effort and um, they m- maybe didn't work harder to find them.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, I certainly want to talk to you about all of these new points of entry that women have now to build their own careers without exactly. having to rely so you know so heavily on gatekeepers. But I guess, you know, I think um, Nicki Minaj has had a controversies in, in recent years but we really do have to give her credit for, I think, all of the the recent barriers that she she broke and all the arrows that she had to take for this new generation. And I wonder. So, in the book, you reference some milestones in her career. um And one thing you talk about is her sort of dipping into this, this pop crossover in her music, right? And I remember, I can't remember what award show it was. Ariana Grande, they cut to her. I think she was like singing along to a Nikki song. It went viral, and that really helped. And I'm wondering. If if you think her career would have panned out the same, her influence would have been as big if she didn't sort of dabble in that pop world. Like if she tried to do strictly just rap, would it have all
2: worked out as big
3: and as explosive as it did turn out to be?
2: Um, I don't think, I don't think so. Not on that level, not on that scale, just cause she hit so many, um, she hit so many kind of um, corners of the world at think by jumping on everyone's records and then also you know I think like it's I think it's interesting like I don't think it would have been impossible for for her but I when I think about um the difference in kind of like the 90s and then when Nikki came out like the 90s hip-hop was you know just becoming pop music it was like, 19, I think 1998 was, like, the year um, hip hop, like, surpassed country music as, like, the highest selling genre, and it was mm-hmm. all over the charts, and that was, you know, the era of Puffy and, like, you know, DMX, and, like, rap was, like, just pure rap was selling, and it was just becoming pop at that time, so I wonder if, like, you know, by the mid-2000s when Nicki came out, it was... It, it was, you know, like popping all these hybrids. It was, you know, the hybrid genres, uh, or should I say genres were like fusing more. Yeah. Um, hip hop, R&B, like rap R&B. Um, you know, you had these like boy band groups kind of doing hip hop and R&B, you know, Justin Timberlake <laughs> and that whole era. So I wonder if it was, you know, just like a reflection of what was popular music um was like yeah pop whereas you know in the 90s like rap was like that was popular music and more and more was like yeah rap was still like the top genre but it was also rap as a hype like a fusion of things so um i do think that she kind of like had to uh kind of fall into that um would kind of fall into that and make songs like uh like super bass which is Honestly one of my if I feel like it's my it might be my favorite Nicki Minaj song. Really? <laughs> like yeah, I, I really never I'm, that. I know I'm really it's I feel almost <laughs> like ashamed <laughs> because it's not be. like pure rap but you know I love you know Eddie Piggy and um like I I love that Nicki like super super lyrical rapping Nicki But something about Super Bass, like it makes me happy. It makes me like, she's still (laughs) rapping, rapping on that song. And it feels like the exact, that song feels like this is Nicki Minaj. She is like bubblegum and like pop, but also like super rappity rap and like bright and colorful um, and like knows how to put verses together. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know why I got into <laughs> my. No, that's absolutely. I'm base, glad we just base, we just but... got to hear you gush a little bit. That's making me <laughs> smile. Yeah, I just you. I just love that song. Um... No,
3: I mean she. I think what she did and and her special skill set. I just I wonder if anyone else could have done it at that moment where she was just that one big female rapper for right. so long. Because you make such an interesting point about sort of in our heyday when I'm growing up and I'm watching Puff and Mace and all of that, that was pure rap, but it was just so cool and it was so pop. And then mm-hmm. Nikki had to sort of come back and lean even further into this sort of pop, uh, even a little bit of like techno, electro- mm-hmm. electronic yeah. kind of world, right? To sort of capture this wide audience and reintroduce us to like how, what a female rap superstar could look like. And then now, you know, when we have people like Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B and City Girls, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. feel like they have to even dabble necessarily in pop music, but I wonder if they could have existed and been as popular mm-hmm. as they are now if Nikki didn't dip into pop and just reintroduce the female superstar rapper to us. What do you think? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, she kind of, in the same way that I guess, um, you know, Kim in the 90s kind of broke that barrier with like women, uh, like women in rap kind of like showing their sexuality and kind of being brazen and, you know, sh- on making it kind of palatable on a um, like really global level. Um, I think Nikki did that for for women to show for, you know, just to kind of show like they didn't have to be one thing. And I think that was really important to kind of breaking the floodgates open and all, uh, a lot of the women, like I had done some interviews with like Rico and um, Rico Nasty and um, like Megan and like, For them, Cardi was like, uh, sorry Cardi, (laughs) Nikki was um, (laughs) like that kind of inspiration um, where she showed that you didn't have to be like one dimensional, like she was Mm -hmm. sexy and she was like weird and also very rap and pop. And she was like, just human and like, you know I'm a human being. (laughs) And she was like, you know, all those kind of like things um, and it worked and I think that was the thing that the fact that it worked and she really did kind of like break out um and you know become like basically the biggest female rapper um like of a generation Mm -hmm. um you know I think the fact that it worked was like that when you have a success story it's like then the labels want to start copying and you know you know, Azalea Banks came along and then Cardi, and then, you know, it just kind of like opened up completely. So I do think we gotta give her a lot of credit because I do not think there would be this kind of plethora of of women without her kind of showing those like dimensions basically. And that was, a lot of that was just her doing, like she wanted to do it. It wasn't like, like you know, it wasn't like someone telling her like, you have to do this thing. Like, right. She just wanted to, to kind of show that and it really paid off basically. <laughs>
3: Mm -hmm. And it's so true. And I think, you know, I've heard stories about label executives behind the scene after then watching her success, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to just go out and replicate it and find the next Nikki, which is always a recipe for disaster. But, you know, (laughs) thankfully, there are just so many talented and diverse young women that I don't think anyone's trying to be the next Nikki. They're all finding their own avenues. And I think Cardi B then is, you know, sort of the next example of this sort of next wave of you know social media and the rise of streaming like you mentioned in reality tv giving women this opportunity to finally stand on their own and build their own careers without worrying about labels any male gatekeepers about having to come up in you know we're used to sort of that really strong woman in the all male clique so do you think mm-hmm. with the advent of all of these tools now you know has it forever ended any potential
2: drought in female rap
3: moving forward?
2: Mm -hmm. I I am kind of confident that it has um, only because once you do have, once, you know, you create that doorway, uh, that entryway, like that is, you know, and once you create the entryway, which in this case is, you know, social media, um, that is now a, Uh, an option that can't be taken away unless social media is is taken away. Like, unless, like, Twitter and Instagram start kind of, like, people stop using it and stop, like, discovering artists through it. Like, that's always going to be, as long as they're popular or even if some other social media platform comes along, um, like, that's always going to be an entry point. And so if it is an option, then we will be able to kind of, like, pick and choose and like, see different women of different ranges just kind of come through because they can just literally just like start an account and post images of themselves and, yeah. um, you know, post their own music. And I think that kind of, um, you know, uh, independence that comes with just simply having your own, being able to like put out your own photo without someone having to approve it is, it's really kind of very simple, but, um, The ability to do that does so much for like a woman in the music business. Not to say that you know they don't still have those other barriers of like trying to get stuff done and access and um, like bigger access, but um, I do think once like once this door is open, it's hard to imagine like they're not. It's it's hard to imagine people not continuing to kind of like take advantage of it, you know, like take advantage of that door being open and if it does if there is another drought it's there it's not on this once again not on the women or the talent it's like Mm -hmm. someone is restricting access or they're not giving opportunities or like it's some other entity because i think people who are talented always find a way to try to like show themselves um and it's really up to um you know the people with money to like take notice and you know in a because you have social media, there's less of that necessary, but yeah. still, yeah, you we know, still have to, you we know, still have to like go through certain people, basically.
3: Yeah, well, I'm definitely with you and feeling confident that you know there's not going to be that period mm-hmm. again between Foxy, Kim, and and Nicky, where it's years and years before we see another superstar. And and I wonder too. So you know, when you're thinking back to the Roxanne Chante's or Kim or Foxy lyrics have always been really important in hip-hop, you know. Um, Some artists do use writers, some some don't. For someone like Nicki, we know that that is something that she takes very seriously and is very personal to her and she hates when anyone would even dare to, you know, imagine that she doesn't write (laughs) her own lyrics. But, you know, again, now with this influx of female artists, do you feel like that's also changing? I'm even thinking, we know how Cardi rose up, right? Coming up on Instagram, Reality TV and and then going on to become a superstar. But even thinking of someone in the past six months, like uh, Erica Banks, right? She had a big record. Well, she had a record busted out last summer. And because of a TikTok challenge months later, you know, that really helped the song take off. You know, she gets a better record deal and things are moving from there. So, where do you think, I guess, you see in the next few years? how important are lyrics moving forward compared to how they were historically? And and do you think it's, you know, personality is becoming even more important than that at this point?
2: Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, persona, personality, and a lot of that also had to do with Nikki kind of just coming out the gates, um, like personality-wise. Um, I Yeah, it's really an interesting uh, phenomenon with women writing and hip hop because you know, like we all know ghostwriting was always kind of seen as, or having, you know, someone else write your lyrics in rap was like seen as this kind of like, you know, no, like a huge taboo um, or like have, you know, just not writing your own lyrics um, was like, okay, like I can't even take you seriously. Right. Um, even, you know, like compared to other genres, obviously like no one cares with like, a, you know, pop or R&B that someone's not like off. not writing. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, so, but then like at the same time, people always kind of expected that women weren't writing their own rhymes and that was okay or whatever. It was like, <laughs> oh, obviously. Um, and this was what like Charlie Baltimore talked about. She was like, yeah, everyone just assumed she wasn't writing. It was just like, oh yeah, yeah, let's get a camera on to write for you. Or let's get you know, like chic or whatever, um, uh, to like write this, uh, this verse because obviously you don't write. So and it's like <laughs> no, I kind of do. <laughs> so, um, so there, it was like kind of both, yeah. So it's like a taboo, but not necessarily for women. And I think maybe Nikki kind of um wanted to like really break that because it was, or really kind of visibly show like I am. Offering these words, like I am kind of like not one of um, like women where you can like assume that I'm not doing, like she kind of very immediately shut that down. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is, um, you know, definitely less of a standard just across the board. Um, You know, and I mean, people, I guess people talk about this all the time about how lyrics I don't know sometimes it feels like an old person thing (laughs) i don't know it's like ah no people don't you know rap the way they used to and but then i think about the like you know but then like some people make fun of how like 70s rappers rapped you know like (laughs) like the hippity hop and (laughs) so it's like you know it started out like it i don't know um it started out very simple, and then got complex, and then now it's kind of a little bit more. um I don't know if simple is even the right word. Just like more kind of based it, around, yeah, like and, and p- p- right, punchlines,
3: and and not having to be like mind bending, you know. But there's yeah. some purists who will always be sort of very negative, and then there's a cardi who's you know she's like, you guys can keep criticizing me, but I'll be honest, I've worked with a writer and it's helped me get better. So
2: right. Yeah, she you know, was very, like, transparent, like, yeah, I have someone else writing, ha ah, I get money, so, you know, leave exactly, me alone. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and um, I do think that does help open things up, I mean, in general, but then definitely helps, like, for for women, because then it's not that, like, oh, you got to be Lauren Hill, you know, like, you got to mm-hmm. kind of, because that, as I think for a while, it was, like, people were then once Lauren Lauren Hill kind of like broke out then looking for the next Lauren Hill and it's like that's impossible so (laughs) you know um I I do think it helps just because it helps everyone so
3: yeah I mean the standards women have to live up to it's always so crazy and I have to say I am so happy that WAP made it into this book you know that you were still working (laughs) on it when that song came out because just the reaction was so insane I remember reading um uh, a think piece from a gynecologist praising <laughs> WAP and how important she thought this song that was. And then, of course, there were all the conservatives who, who were super upset about it. So you also talk about Anaconda in the book and, and how Nikki played this really am- amazing balancing act between objectifying herself, but also being very firmly in control. And so just remembering the reactions of from Anaconda when that video dropped and from WAP, I'm, I'm wondering, Do you think much has changed uh, in the past few years, like between those records, like in terms of how the wider, and I would say male audience Mm -hmm. views and reacts to female rappers and their sexuality and and the role
2: that it plays in their music? I think some, in some ways, but then sometimes I feel like I underestimate how, how, people's thinking doesn't how much people's thinking <laughs> doesn't change because like I thought things had changed and then you know when we saw it with Megan like just kind of um you know guys kind of coming after her for like showing her body or kind of showing um or or kind of like her sexuality and then she, to see kind of like the reaction to her and um, even that. Oh yeah, that's the, what um, Jermaine Dupri said about Ugh. like sh- stripper rap. Was like really? <laughs> like him of
3: all people. Like really you? Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And and it's it's like how, I don't know. Like you kind of they. I think the issue is that they they're not the ones kind of controlling or like putting it out because when they are the kind of um um you know, ones with the keys or whatever, or the ones with the control of the image itself, right. um, there's no problem because they can have, you know, women in the videos and like, you know, that's them kind of um, kind of uh, creating the, the imagery and, um, you know, the gaze basically what we call. Um, but when it's not them, somehow it feels like it's wrong to them I don't know like it's it's how is this not like you know um what you're doing so it's it's uh hypocritical like I don't I don't I think in some ways it has changed and then in a lot of ways it just hasn't um I know that's kind of it's not
3: no honestly that's that's like a very accurate answer because I just sort of watch in shock sometimes when It's like, as a woman growing up loving rap, there are just certain things that you sort of become a little bit numb to, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh God, what is that song? There's a song where someone's rapping and she's wet, blah, 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 dripping down thighs. There are just certain things Mm -hmm. that I don't yeah. necessarily need those graphics, but I'm like, I like the song. I'm just gonna keep it moving, but men yeah. on the flip side cannot handle it. So I'm gonna paraphrase Megan Thee Stallion when she's just <laughs> like, this is my vagina and I'm gonna rap about it if I want. Like you guys can get mad because, I mean, right. Cardi made a good point. I did a round table with her mm-hmm. uh, and a few other artists last year for Apple Music. And, and she was saying basically these men are, you know, excuse my language, they're they're full of shit. They complain when women rap too much about sexuality. claim they don't like it but then at the same time when we think about other amazing artists like Rhapsody who are rapping about Mm -hmm. things completely different she's like then why don't we support them enough Mm. you know what I mean so and I think Nikki also told you that she went above and beyond at some point to prove that a female rapper could have a successful album without rapping about sex so you know sex appeal is obviously still very important but right do you see a future where we can, you know, see more artists like a Missy Elliott who can transcend that and still become superstars and not have a sexualized image?
2: Right, yeah. Um, and I mean, like, Missy's still like wrapped about sex. But I like uh, it because she's, she's like, objectifying it, men. That's what it always felt like. Right, <laughs> <the show. laughs> right, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's hard because in terms of image and music and like the music industry, just being sexy is so important, has always been so important for um, just being like women, just kind of um, women in pop, in rap, like across genres um, have to have had to kind of like uh, adhere to like a certain kind of standard. Um, and I do think that I think there has to be that person who, I guess, similar to how Nikki kind of opened the gates. Like who is gonna be that person who will open the gates um, for for women to not kind of have to have the um, sexuality default sort of? because yeah. um, I do think Missy is one of the such a rare <laughs> like kind of um example of someone who who did and she had to have such a huge vision. Like yeah. she did everything, and, you know, just visually and kind of like she was creative and like r- writes, produces, sings, raps, like she has to kind of do everything, like she does everything, um, and like kind of also came up at that time when hip-hop was becoming pop, so, um, just, you know, I kind of like think about that, um, yeah, I do think there needs to be that, that one person who, who can, yeah, I don't know who is, it's yeah, I don't know William, who is, yeah. maybe like and Tiara,
3: yeah, like Tiara yeah. seems like she's on her way. She just needs to be, you know, dropping more consistently and, and mm-hmm. present. But, you know, again, as you mentioned, sort of with the rise of Cardi and the internet, we're still very early in this mm-hmm. new sort of, I don't even know what to call it, but like this brand new world, which is like really exciting. So, you know, hopefully yeah. five years from now, 10 years from now, there's like multiple of them and we could look back, like, remember in 2021 when we were worried <laughs> this might never happen, you know? So right.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe be um, on the moon or something. <laughs> I
3: don't know. So, um, last thing for you, I thought this was so interesting in the book when you were talking about how many monumental the Nicki Minaj and Remy Ma battle was because it'd been, you know, it was amazing that two women were impactful enough to make that such a big moment that everyone yeah. in rap was paying attention to, and I think battle rap, the sport of it is always fun i think what is messy and what none of us maybe like is when things really get messy behind the scenes but when you were talking about she there you said uh you know this idea of females being forced into competition against each other and i think you were talking about in battle rap mm-hmm. maybe upset some people and then you noted that roxanne Shante was actually the one who popularized battling on records with roxanne's revenge and again that's really amazing and that's something that i don't know that a lot of contemporary hip hop fans necessarily have in their mind that it was actually Mm -hmm. a woman who made this such a a, a fun blood sport,
2: if you will. Right, and she had everyone kind of responding to her. It was, you know, um, people wanted to get noticed like through um, responding to that song. And so it became like, and she was like also on the streets battling, um, you know, like battling people, battling men and in competitions and things like that. Um, And then, you know, there was that whole showdown that was, you know, I guess what is considered like one of the, like the first kind of uh, like public kind of battle between two female rappers with her and Sparky D. Um, So it's kind of always been built in. Uh, I definitely understand it kind of being, you know because there's fewer, like it feels like, oh, we're, um, you know make we're kind of um I don't know watching the girl the girls are fighting you know (laughs) like watching the girls fight um it's like I liked that Remy and Nikki kind of uh you know back and forth because it was was great competitive and it was like you know they're both great lyrically and I wanted to see what each of them like came back with and I do think people kind of do turn it into something that's like more catty. And I think that Mm -hmm. is when it gets annoying because it it turns into not just like a job, like there's, you know, it turns into like, just like more gossipy. And I think that's where it gets, um, you know, like frustrating. Um, But, you know, I just kind of like to say people, not everyone has to like everyone and (laughs) it's just that, because of fewer women it just always seems like you know it's just it always seems like they're fighting because it's like if you only have six and like three of them are fighting like then right. it seems like a lot whereas if you have like a hundred like male rappers and like 20 of them are fighting it's like oh yeah they're just like normal <laughs> so it's like I guess in a way numbers like a numbers thing mm. um it's a very good yeah. point Right, but
3: you yeah. know the numbers keep scaling up, so that's to your point. That's actually like a great thing, you know. So right. in a few years, and again, it's like never want any sort of real behind the scenes drama, but rap is very much a competitive sport, and and to be honest, like. Yeah, hearing people actually battle on records is good. Plus, everybody loves a good full circle makeup story. You know what I mean? So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're also yep. there for that to happen uh, down the line. So Clover, I have to say again, congratulations. This is really, really such an excellent book and and something, Thank you know, you. I'm excited to share with friends and to share with my kids one day because I think, you know, uh-huh. all of these stories of these women really, really, you know,
2: need it to be told. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad they like many of them spoke to me, and I could kind of just be a conduit for their stories. So um, I really appreciate that. Thank
0: you.
3: No problem. So Maddie, how did you Maybe. think? I tried to not just
0: go you got too it. Long extra oh this is so great um thank you both for this conversation i i really enjoyed it and um i think i'm discovering new artists through Mm -hmm. through this book as well so thank you so much clover for for doing this research and telling their stories thank you yeah yeah it was fun
2: hard hard but fun it was like (laughs) fun
0: or fun but
2: hard
3: how long did it take you to like get all the research and all the interviews done
2: it was like um like a two and a half year process essentially because wow. and it amazing. was supposed to be only a few months and then I was kind of like I need more time like I need, I can't I it was coming together and it was it wasn't as like I wanted to find more people some people didn't get back to me to like later like mm-hmm. Bahamadia or not Bahamadia, um Lady of Rage um like MC Shawrock I talked to her like late last year because it was <laughs> like she didn't get back to me for a, a while so I'm glad that I just had got more time partly due to corona so yeah. <laughs> but um because it had gotten pushed back because of that but it took yeah it took a while
3: it all worked out in the end though really awesome
2: it did and great timing because i was worried that like i was like oh no one like i don't know who's gonna be after cardi and then who's gonna be after megan and then luckily we have so many now like mm-hmm. like sweetie and erica and rico and you know so it's it's been nice to kind of have like timing, <laughs> like, you know, where it's there are so many women to kind of like that people are interested in. Like, so
3: that means you can already start taking notes for the sequel. Part two I know, the, you know, give yourself said, some time.
2: <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even been thinking about it, but I think I have to now. <laughs> so yes, I agree. Part two. All right. That was a great that was a great interview. Thank you so much. It was yeah. Yeah, it was great
3: talking know. to you. I spend so much time talking to men. It's always just so nice to talk to men. <laughs> so thank you, Clover and Maddie. Thank you yeah. for having us. Maddie, thank, you. thank you.
2: you Are you going to do, uh, do you need an outro or are you? Yeah, good? we'll just do
0: a little, uh, we'll just say our goodbyes. Um, okay. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, our guests today were Clover Hope in conversation with Nadeska Alexis about her new book, The Motherload. You guys go out there, get your copy. Um Read up, study up. There's going to be a test at the end. I'm kidding. There's no test. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's definitely worth a read and um, it's, it's a great gift as well. So, you guys get out there, get your copy of The Mother Load. Uh, Clover and Nadesca, thank you again for joining us. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure listening to you today. Thank you. Thanks, Maddie. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. You too. Have a good
1: day.